Welcome to Leader Spotlight. On this podcast, we bring you the stories of leaders, their personal journeys, and the inspiring things they are doing in their organizations. Hello, everyone. I'm Annette Klozowski, your host, along with Annie Brown, our producer and co-host. This is another episode of Leader Spotlight. So on today's episode, we are talking with Tannis Cornell and the Hot Topic Gender Diversity. We're going to talk about how companies with greater diversity actually have better financial results, and she's going to give us some great tips of what we can do in our organizations today. So, Annie, it's kind of interesting that this topic comes up now because I'm actually speaking on that very topic this week to the Society of CPAs. Yeah, and uh, well, it's interesting in a few ways. It was a nice to kind of help you build those slides out because it was a good refresher course on on gender bias. My background is in um, women's studies, uh, gender studies, things like this. So these are definitely issues that I'm I'm passionate about. And I think gender bias is interesting because you know you have the topic of unconscious bias, and you know we're still doing research that helps us better understand that. And I'm sure Tanis will. We'll talk a little bit more about that and why gender diversity is important. But uh, I think one thing I just wanted to share with listeners was that when I was doing the research for your your slides, this uh, study came up that I encountered a bit ago that was, it was the Harvard Business Review. And it was pretty cool, like what they did, because it's really hard to understand like what people do in their everyday lives than how they encounter bias. But basically what they did was they put these little sensors on everybody. So they put it on everybody in several workplaces. They put these little sensors on and the sensors could detect like who they were talking to, where they were going, what meetings they were going to, because the, the thesis was that women you know, don't have the same access as men. So they're having, you know, they're going to less like after work meetings with like uh, colleagues or with people that could advance their careers and things like that. But then actually what the study found was that um, there was no no difference between the men's, you know, day-to-day actions and who they're communicating with and women's day-to-day actions. So kind of what it did was it challenged a little bit that that lean-in you know, theory that women just have to do more or work harder, things like that. It's, you know, that it kind of pointed to unconscious bias, which I thought was really interesting. So I think if you, if you Google, um, actually we'll put it, I'll put it on our, uh, Instagram, the, oh, yeah, uh, the resource, yeah. Yeah, on the resource page too, the Harvard business review study, cause it's fascinating. It's a really, it's a really good one to, to read and kind of shows where the, where the research is going and how it's evolving. Yeah, let's yeah, I'd love to read that too. Oh yeah. yeah. Well, and let's have the Stanford one up there too, just because I think it's um it'll be good. So Oh yeah, that was a great one. All right. So we always like to talk about our listeners. Um we are so appreciative of everyone's support and our growing community. So Annie, I think you have a review to share with us. Yeah, yeah. I- just thank you for everyone who's been, you know, leaving reviews and sharing, you know, uh, love for our podcast. I, I'm glad that people are getting a lot of enjoyment out of it. And um, this review comes from Patty Toms. And uh, the review says, uh, Annette is witty, brilliant, funny, and has those one-liner nuggets of impact that you will always walk away with a value add for your professional and personal life. And I agree that 
Annette is witty, brilliant, and funny. And, uh, <laughs> <laughs> I think, yeah. Well, thank you, yeah. Patty Toms. Um, yeah. I love you dearly. So that was great. We so please go out and give us a, a shout out. Uh, give us feedback. Uh, we we really are honing our craft and would love to hear from anyone. So I know I've received lots of emails and we'll start sharing some of the feedback and um, just uh, things from our listeners with everybody. Yeah. So, and I'll also add uh, just one more thing. If you want to go on our Instagram um, and share like, you know, tag people you'd like to see on the show or, you know, topics or questions like that, that's the best way to interact with us on social media for, you know, uh, real-time feedback on, you know, episodes and things like that besides leaving a review. Yes. Very good. Okay. Let's get to it. Um, today's leader spotlight is Tannis Cornell. She is CEO of EWF International. They are a premier provider of executive leadership programs for women. She is out of Dallas, Fort Worth area. And she comes from a very impressive sales background. Her last corporate stint was AT&T, and then she made the jump into the entrepreneur world. So I can't think of a better person for us to talk to about gender diversity than Tannis. Um, she spends a lot of her days working with top women leaders, and she's also been involved with the World Affairs Council that supports women in business globally. So, Tannis, welcome. I am so happy to have you on Leader Spotlight. Well, I appreciate it. Thanks, Annette. Yes, I've been looking forward to this, and um, I loved that uh, this was a topic you really wanted to cover. So, um, I think it's I think it's a very misunderstood topic, and I think a lot of people can fall on a lot of sides to this. So let's kind of just start first with you, because I love the story behind the leader. So let me just ask you first, what led you to kind of leave corporate America and jump into your own business, um, especially one that's focusing on women in leadership? You know, there were a number of things that really led to me starting my own business um, a little over six years ago. I had held a number of senior-level roles in the technology industry, um, had been in sales leadership, but then in the latter parts of my career had moved into uh, alliance management relationships for these very large strategic partnerships with uh, clients. And, you know, one of the things that I had um, some expertise in what a couple of different companies had hired me to do was run very large strategic relationships with AT&T. And what that meant is that I was on an airplane about every week of my life. And I did that for a number of years, but went through a health crisis 10 years ago. And that much travel, you know, after that health crisis, I continued to, to work in the environment. But there came a point in my life where I just thought for me, um, I had lost that desire to be on an airplane every week. Mm-hmm. And with the skill set that I had, I knew that it really wasn't about the company I was with or the job that I was doing. Um, it was really about making a, kind of a different step in my life to where I would do something that would be more locally based, uh, but also that would come from a place of passion. Um, I, you know, I'd had several people say, well, why don't you just retire? And I said, well, because I like to work. I didn't really want to retire. <laughs> and so, um, so I really selected something that utilized a skill set uh, that I had built through the many years of my corporate career and 
and match that with a passion uh, that I have for leadership development, uh, specifically uh, around women leaders, although I think it's a topic of equal relevance to men and women, but do have um, a soft spot in my heart for uh, executive women and building women leaders, and certainly saw from my own perspective issues that you know women uh, are challenged with from time to time through our careers. And so that was ideal for me. And since starting that, um, become our company has grown. I started out as a licensee of EWF in Dallas. Uh, ultimately, along with a business partner, we acquired uh, the corporate entity of the company and have developed beyond providing peer advisory boards, which we still do, and that was certainly the core of what EWF has done for 20 years, uh, but also developing programs for women who are in earlier stages of their career and you know, working with companies as well who are creating opportunities for women within their organization. Sometimes they have an ERG group, um, an employee resource group, and they're looking for external people to come in and either create or deliver uh, content to their internal women because companies are recognizing the fact that um, having gender diversity is not just the right thing to do. It's really a business imperative if these companies are going to remain competitive and grow and compete against their competitors, that gender parity is actually a competitive advantage uh, that they can tackle. And if they pay the right kind of attention to it, there are real financial returns for the company. And so that's really what we're about. And it, it's a passion that I have, as well as does Jennifer Carter, my partner. And so that's where we spend our days. And it's a lot of fun. Well, as, as many people will be able to tell, there's so many things we could talk about with you because you have so much wisdom and depth around uh, all things leadership and development with uh, organizations and people. But let's really kind of just, we're going to focus on the gender diversity this session, and maybe we'll have you back and we can talk about um, a broad oh, sure. <laughs> for you. But, you know, let's start with this question because I get this a lot. And it's, it's really just around why does this matter? And you were really starting to go down that where around the parity mm -hmm. and the financial results. So talk a little bit about, about why organizations should care about this topic. Well, they should care because there have now been a multitude of studies, some nationally and some globally, that actually now prove out statistically uh, that companies who have a greater level of gender parity within their leadership ranks actually outperform financially companies that don't and their competitors that don't. So it's now been recognized that companies that have this level of gender, gender parity are outperforming uh, financially their competitors. So they also then, because of that, can draw uh, a lot of talent to their organizations as a result. It becomes a, both a retention and a recruitment tool uh, for them to get the best talent. And the financial performance follow. In fact, a lot of the financial houses like UBS and Morgan Stanley, they've actually created uh, financial investment strategies for their clients around companies that have better gender diversity. Uh, that are being led by women or have significant women on their boards or in their leadership teams because they see the direct correlation uh, to financial performance. You know, it's interesting. There are now some really long-term studies uh, that 
have been done. Fortune magazine did a study over a 12-year period where they studied a group of 80 companies that were led by women CEOs. And over those 12 years, they compared the financial results uh, to the S&P 500. And during that study, they found that these 80 companies led by women produced equity returns of 226% better than the S&P 500. Wow. Now, that is a pretty outstanding statistic. Now, did that mean that every single one of those 80 companies led by a female outperformed the S&P? No, but as a, as a group, they outperformed the S&P. You know, Credit Suisse did an international study in which they looked at 28,000 executives and 3,000 companies in 40 countries. And what they found is the return on equity for companies with women in more than 10% of key positions was 27% better than for those with less than 5%. That's only at 10%. Oh, yeah. And, and and I don't say this to say that women are superior or that women are, are better than men. It's simply that we have contributions as women to make to companies and companies are beginning to recognize that when they embrace a lot of the talents and the diversity that women bring uh, to their audience, it really produces financial results. And so that's why it's become a key component for a lot of companies and something that companies are are really focused on. And I know that some people feel like companies are paying a lot of lip service and they're not necessarily fo focusing on it the way they should, but we do see movement and we do see programs that companies are putting in place. And it really starts at the top. I mean, it has to be a top-down initiative. It has to be important to men as well as to women. And when men and women work together, that's when they produce and the greatest why do you results. Think, why do you think women have, I know there's the glass ceiling, there, there's lots of labels of women that have tried or trying to pierce through mm -hmm. to the higher levels of, of the executive management, leadership, C-suite, whatever you want to call it. Um, what, why do you think the, the, the issue is there? Why, why haven't women wrote? Yeah. I think there's a couple of issues at play. I think today a lot of what we see is there is a lack of pipeline in the middle ranks. You know, when someone in the C-suite is looking down to promote someone into the, the executive ranks, uh, often they're trying to promote from within, and often they're looking down into mid to senior level ranks in which there are few women there. I mean, women start out at 50% of the workforce. So when you just look at pure numbers, women make up half the workforce, but with each layer of leadership, fewer and fewer women get promoted into those roles. Now, I would, I would tell you that there, uh, there's probably responsibility on both sides. I do think that unconscious bias uh, does play a role. I think that uh, mentorship and finding key mentors that will help to bring women earlier in their career along um, is, part of a, is part of a factor. I think that women um, hold some responsibility in the sense that if women just sit behind their desk all day long and they don't and they aren't open and vocal about what their goals and aspirations are and they just sit there and wait to be noticed, then um, that factors in. But, you know, I was having 
lunch with a, a corporate CEO just the other day, and we were talking about his perceptions. And there's a big perception that women are less risk, are, are more risk averse than males are. And I don't know that the statistics or that really holds true. I do think women are more thoughtful about the risks that they take. Uh, maybe they don't speak up as much. Uh, but I think you do see that the women who do reach senior ranks are risk takers, as are their male counterparts. But I think that one of the reasons that we see corporations do better when they have three or more women on their on public boards is that it tempers sometimes risk behaviors in males that aren't necessarily a good thing. And so kind of that tempered risk-taking is often a key to better financial performance uh, when men and women are working together in that regard. So I think there's a host of factors, and I think the recognition of the problem is a big part, and uh, men recognizing that, you know, we want them to be advocates and involved in the conversation, and it's good for them as well as for women. Uh, I think when women rise, everyone rises because companies perform better in general, and that's good for all of us. Yes, yes, I agree. Um, I also think the unconscious bias, uh, that's what I learned a lot about. Um, and I think women, I mean, it's, we all have it. And I think, Absolutely. That, I think that is that undercurrent in organizations that we don't really think about. So I know mm -hmm. Stanford did um, a study on they would submit a, uh, a resume for a position and it would be the right. same person, but they would have a woman's name and a men's yeah. name. And then the woman's would have language that's a little softer or more representative of teamwork. And we, where the men, you know, would use more masculine language. And it was very interesting because the committees that would look at that resume would select the, the man's resume. And a lot of it was right. language alone. You know, it was just yes. that unbiased, unconscious bias around um, drive and how we reach goals, but it's a masculine voice, if you will. So talk a little bit about um, just that unconscious bias from your, sure. from your study. Well, and part of the issue with unconscious bias is that if women speak in that male vernacular, often they are judged harshly for doing so. So it's this concept of the double bind that women have in trying to balance being collaborative and sensitive with being tough and resilient that often women get punished um, at a higher rate or there's a higher level of competence expected from women. You know, there's a great story for, for those of in my age group when they think back on um, – <clears throat> Um, the, um, oh, the dance partners, I'm trying, I've just gone completely blank. Um, Fred Astaire? Yeah, Fred Astaire, Ginger Rogers <laughs> and Fred Astaire. Thank you. I was having a, a mental blank there. Um, one time Ginger Rogers was being interviewed and uh, she was asked, oh my goodness, you know, what was it like to dance with Fred Astaire? And she said, well, it was great dancing with Fred. I had to do everything he did, but backwards and in heels <laughs> well, with the idea that he's getting all the attention and she was doing all of the same things, but, but had a higher competency threshold. Uh, and actually, I was laughing. We were, I was on leading a panel one time with a, a colleague, colleague of mine who's a woman of color, and she said, and if you're a woman of color, it's backwards in, in heels and up the stairs with a backflip at the end. Uh, <laughs> the, the, the level of expectation you know, goes up even more. 
And so I do think that women to some degree are held to a higher standard in terms of competency. I'm sure you've heard it said that men tend to get promoted on um, potential where women get promoted on performance, that we have to prove it before we're given the opportunity. Uh, and, and that is often true. But I also want to bring forth that it's not just our male colleagues who have unconscious bias with women. It's we ourselves yeah. who have unconscious bias in terms of our expectation of other women. Um, I was at a conference. Oh, this has been a few years ago. And there was a woman speaking on this very subject. And she had the entire audience, which was 98% women, stand up. And she read a a, a set of statements, and she said, if any of these are true for you, I want you to sit down. And she started reading through a series of statements, um, such as, you know, if you've ever judged a woman because of X, Y, Z, you know, sit down. Or if you've ever assumed a woman got a promotion for X, Y, Z reason, sit down. And she was pretty specific. By the end of her list of 10 or 12 questions, there was not a woman in the room left standing. which really illustrated her point that all of us, uh, and we have to really watch ourselves as well, because we all have this opinion about how how we as women or men have opinions about how women should behave and speak and act. And so that's part of the problem when it comes to unconscious bias and its assumptions. Uh, that, that people make about, you know, what our goals are. And so I often, you know, counsel and, and we talk a lot about this in our emerging leader program with women that you cannot assume that people know what you want. And so you have to be vocal in stating what you want and stating what your goals are. Otherwise, people will assume for you. And that's not always going to work in your behalf. Yeah. Yeah. I, I agree. And I agree that um, I think women will start thinking like men or the masculine side in business or the drive mm-hmm. to get ahead and not really tap into what might be their leadership, you know, strength, which might not translate into something a company has recognized as what they value in leaders. So that's I think right. that's very true. So let me ask like, you a hard question. Because I think people, and, and I don't know if this is an untalkaboutable, but I'm going to ask anyway, because I think it's a hard question. Um, and I've worked with, I do a lot of executive coaching, and I've worked with, you know, executive teams and CEOs. And, you know, one of the things that I think is frustrating uh, from just a organizational standpoint is there seems to be the woman will take, and I'm just going to talk in a family sense, that they may take on more of the role of taking care of the family, the kids, the aging parents, whatever that is, um, or having a baby or whatever. You know, there's a lot more expected, um, I don't know what I'm going to, uh, allowances for time off or flexibility. And the one I'm thinking of in, 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 specifically that I'm talking about had four key people off on maternity leave. And mm-hmm. you know, in, in one voice, yes, they want to value family and they, they love that people can take time off and you know, be home with their babies and they want people to be at their kids' games, soccer games. And then there's this other side of that, which is we're running a business to make money and you, they're in keeping. Mm-hmm and they're gone and what do we do so there's a little bit of a panic of there's a hole in this organization and so 
talk a little bit about just like, you know, how do you answer that when you're talking with CEOs or organizations when they bring up an untalkaboutable like that? Well, and I'm going to, I'm going to point to um, a book and some work that's been done by a woman by the name of Shanti Feldon out of Atlanta. And she's written a book called The Male Factor. And that book is about the unwritten rules that our male colleagues bring into the workplace. And, and these are things that have been institutionalized over, you know, more than 100 years. And it's kind of the unwritten, unwritten rules that men don't really talk about, but it's how they operate. And that sometimes women unintentionally self-sabotage because they don't really understand the unwritten rules. And one of the interesting things she found in her research is that about half of what women were concerned about, men wasn't even on their radar, and vice versa, about 40% of what men brought up, you know, women didn't even get that was an issue. And one of the things she talks about, which is a part of the male psyche, um, and it's part of our business culture, is, you know, hard work is rewarded, performance is rewarded, and the fact that only women biologically can have children put us in a place of caretaking, especially of young children, that it challenges our sense of fairness. Mm-hmm. So, yes, I, I value the fact that you want to be with your kids, but is it fair for you to, quote, unquote, get special circumstances? And if you're an attorney, be on the same partner track as someone who's here working 80 hours a week and you're not. Mm-hmm. And so, you know, that definitely, um, that definitely incorporates itself into the culture of our companies and our corporations, you know, there are parts of the world where family leave is required of both men and women. And even though corporations are now offering um, paternity leave as well as maternity leave, a lot of corporations are, there's a lot of men who won't take it because they're afraid of what it's going to do to their career if they do. Mm-hmm. So until we kind of get to a place where we value that family involvement equally for both men and women, and it, it doesn't become a judgment of how many hours you spend, um, it, it's a problem. And it, it is a challenge. And I wish I could tell you I had the perfect answer, uh, but I don't. I mean, we do have businesses to run. And if you have half your staff out on maternity leave and you've got to figure out a way around that and still run your business, it does provide challenges uh, to a company. And so as we figure out, you know, other ways and additional ways to handle that, I think that's going to be an important component uh, and where it's valued equally for men as well as women to spend time with their families and take care of their children. I think that's when our attitudes will start to change a bit. You know, I was at um, the Women Presidents Organization's National Conference, and there was a lady from Harvard there. Her name was Deborah Spar. She has a book coming out later this year, and she talked about the virgin and the plow, and it was really interesting because she talked about how technology is changing society, and then which impacts the way we run organizations and our lives. But it was interesting because she said, when the technology of the hand plow was invented, it changed everything because at that time, 
they lived, people lived in communities and they were hunters and gatherers and they mm-hmm. all worked together and the, no one really, the men really didn't know whose kids were theirs really. It was just this community. There wasn't marriage or anything like that that was really sanctioned at all. When the hand plow was invented, then you could grow crops. You could plant and grow crops and sell them. And then that be, that came the need for people to have land in their own home and their farms. And then they wanted to know who their kids were because that's who was going to work on their farm, which led to men wanting to have one wife. Um, and they wanted to make sure that that woman you know, was only with them so they would know who their children were. And then she just kept going through you know, every technological invention and how that's impacted society and the way we reorient our thinking to now mm-hmm. when, you know, you can have, you know, in a, in a gay marriage, they can have a baby now. They're, you know, it's, it's, it's a lot broader than what the terms were defined. And what's interesting about that is that mentality will go into our organizations because it won't be like you said, the woman that has the baby that stays home with the baby, you know, it's going to be right. across the board of people that are having babies or adopting. Um, and so it's that whole lines being blurred again, which I think will really kind of help us reinvent. I love that the unwritten rules. I think that organizations mm-hmm. have, um, but yeah, we should we should find that book and have her on sometime because it was really fascinating how she talked about it, right? You know, in dualism of how yes. we organize our worlds and companies. Well, and I think that the technology change, um, literally, if you have a phone and a computer, you can almost work from anywhere. And now because there's so many collaborative tools and, you know, we literally could sit here on a video screen and watch one another uh, that mm-hmm. you couldn't even do 10 years ago, really has changed the way in which we can work. And this is going to be true for men you know, and women. Um, I have a son who has a young baby, and it's giving him more flexibility. The fact that he can work from home part of the time, can go to the office part of the time. And so I think the concept of getting the job done uh, versus you know, exactly how many hours you spend and which hours you spend is less to do with getting the actual job done. And there are even companies now that they don't even have a vacation policy. It's like, if you need it, take it, Um, as long as you get the job done. And so I think certainly that's not prevalent, but there are companies now. So I think over time, we're going to see those kinds of things change as we have mechanisms for working that allow us to work and collaborate in ways that are different than what we've done in the past. Yeah, because it's all about accountability, like you said. Absolutely. If you get your job done, we shouldn't care if how long it takes you. If you're the best person for that job and you are getting that job done, uh, you know, I think that it's about accountability. And you're right. We Agreed. Have, I mean, I built a consulting business with my business partner around um, people that are top in their field that had kids that are staying home whose organizations didn't value a work from home and we were able to hire them <laughs> and have them on our uh-huh. team. We had this yes. high level team, you know, in this startup consulting firm that, you know, we actually acquired it from uh, a company out of California. But it, it's just interesting that, you know, I think you're right. I think especially this younger generation, you know, they're not going to sit in an office 
and watch a clock tick till it's five and go home. I mean, they're going to, they can be at home and source their own work, whether it's one, two, three different organizations. So that's also pressure um, as well from organizations that they really have to change their mindsets and those unwritten rules that they've institutionalized. Well, in fact, and I know you'll appreciate this having, you know, led peer advisory forums yourself that, um, you know, we have a very successful um, woman business owner in Dallas and she's been listed on the Dallas Business Journal's, you know, top women companies in her field. Um, but one of her um, real focuses was building a company which could be mom friendly that would have flexible work hours or someone could actually still have a career path only working 30 hours a week. And so, you know, providing flexibility, but having to balance getting the job done. And it wasn't always easy, but she's built a, re- built a really successful company and drawn a lot of great talent to her organization because she wanted to create a culture uh, that allowed for that kind of flexibility for her workers. Yeah, I think that's great. I know in my office, any day you walk in, you might see a dog or a kid. <laughs> yes. And it's interesting when I, when I had a puppy and I'd bring that puppy to work, the whole temperament of the office would change, you know, and, yeah. and you know, that puppy would go from office to office with people. And, um, and, you know, we, we didn't see any decrease in productivity, <laughs> you know, uh-huh. it, was actually, it was actually the opposite. It was, yeah. so her office is also dog friendly and we've had dogs occasionally run into a meeting we're holding and everybody just kind of laughs and puts the dog back out in the hallway. (laughs) Well, and that's, you know, when Annie and I, when we were talking about this podcast, you know, we wanted this to be casual, conversational. We don't really do scripts. We want it to be free flowing. You could hear some background noise. We don't know. I mean, we, you know, we do produce these, but it's, it's like, that's just real life. You know, life is scripted and, um, and we get to talk to some amazing people and we talk with them where they are and how we can connect with them. And, you know, that, that was really a lot of how we, you know, sat down and started creating what this was going to look like. I was hosting an event, oh, this has been two or three years ago, and I had a, a very well-known female CEO um, on a panel of women that were um, we were interviewing, and at the end, we opened it for questions, and one of the first questions is, uh, one of the women got is, you know, how do you balance, you know, your family with your business and all that, and and she looked straight at her and she goes, who said I'm balancing it? And kind of the whole room broke apart. Uh, and she said, you know, it's a, it's literally a day-to-day challenge. You know, it's, it's what it, you, you don't balance it. It's really a myth that you're balancing it. You, you simply make choices each day based on the what, what the priority of that day needs to be. And sometimes it's a doctor's appointment for your kid and sometimes it's a board meeting for your business. And you, I think we're all just doing the best we can uh, to, uh, to balance our, the, the daily needs that we have. You know, one day I was in the gym and I was on one of those uh, balancing balls that you stand on. Yeah. And, uh, and I was sitting there and I was thinking, you know, I was trying to balance and you do squats and you do all kinds of things as you're trying to balance. You're supposed to engage your core. And I, and I thought about what a metaphor this is. We all talk about balance like it's this 
you know, ohm, I'm sitting in peace and it's all working out. And balance is actually a lot of work. <laughs> it's, it's, yes. it, when you try to, when you put balance in, it makes everything you do harder. Cause I could do a squat or something on the floor, but the minute I stepped up on that little ball, you know, it became a lot harder. And I think that, that is true. Anytime you're trying to balance anything, whether it's starting up a business and you've got startup headaches as well as what you're trying to sell and maybe you're building or programming a product, you have to have balance with that. Maybe you're balancing a family, maybe you're balancing work. It is, it's a lot of work and you, you, you just do what you can yeah. and, and move forward. <laughs> Well, and I just try to, you know, share with our, our up-and-coming young uh, emerging leaders, a, a lot of them with families, but even in our forum groups, you know, I've seen women tough as nails on the job just break into tears over something that happens with one of their children. And, you know, you would never see these women cry, but man, have it be something with their children. And I just, I tell people, I said, I just, if we can just let, if we as women can just let go of the guilt when it comes to our kids, because, you know, there have been some long-term studies now that show that children of working moms are just as happy, just as well-adjusted, do as well in school, have as good of careers as stay-at-home moms. It's a personal choice uh, that women make, but you don't have to feel guilty for it. You're not less of a mother because you also decide to work, and your child can be just as healthy and just as well-adjusted, even if you're a working mom. I know my daughter, she's starting nursing school. She, you know, I, of course I had the daughter that when I would show up early at daycare to pick her up thinking I was a hero, she'd cry because she didn't want to be the first one to leave. And then I get that. My son was the same way. It's like, I'm not ready to go. <laughs> and then they would tell me, yeah, you're just, you're really crippling your daughter, putting her in daycare. And, uh-huh. I mean, I think they, I think, I think you're modeling. I think it's all goes back to modeling. Um, you know, as, as well, what, what you model for your children and who you're being and how you handle all of that matters. And so um, but let, I want to talk before we run out of time, I do want to ask you, what are steps that company leaders, if you're in a leadership position at your company or just a company in general, what, what are steps that they can take to start moving towards better gender diversity? I think making it intentional and messaging it from the top is really critical. Uh, it's, it's like anything else. It's the inspect what you expect. So if companies are paying lip service, but they're not doing any inspection of what's really happening in their company, whether it's pay equity or looking across the board at your company and actually measuring what kind of percentages you have, and if you don't have the right percentages, paying attention to how you're going to get there, Um, I think that is a big component. They found that even companies that have done a really good job with gender equity, if they take their eye off the ball, if they quit measuring it, often it falls back into old patterns Uh, because we tend to be more male-dominated still at the top. What happens if you're not paying attention is that people fall back to what's comfortable, and what is comfortable is hiring people like you. And so until if you don't continue to challenge that assumption and encourage people to step out of that comfort zone, it tends to not happen because we fall back into what's comfortable. So it does need to be a mission from the top, uh, setting up metrics, paying attention to what's happening 
Um, and I do think those are things that can happen. I know that with the whole Me Too movement, and, and I've heard it out of uh, some of my male colleagues' mouths, is they become nervous about mm-hmm. mentoring um, female. I mean, I have even had one young woman come to me and say, hey, uh, my mentor came to me and said he could no longer mentor me because his wife objected to it. What do I do? And I said, well, I don't think it's a good idea for you to try to step between him and his wife, but at least ask him if he could help you to identify another mentor within the organization. Mm -hmm. And I think what happens is the traditional way that men have mentored other men is they go out to the bar after work or they go play golf. I think companies have to then think very specifically, how can we facilitate the interaction of our up-and-coming women um, with our executive leaders, uh, whether it's lunches. And obviously, if you have a lot of women who are balancing family, often you know, going for a drink after work isn't always an option for them. They have family responsibilities, and there's no one to do it if they don't do it. So figuring out interactions, which can happen during the workday or during a lunch, or if you're not comfortable going out alone with a female colleague, take two female colleagues and take them to lunch and mentor them both at the same time. Uh, but for both men and women to put at the forefront, you know, to be inclusive of mentoring women as well as men. You know, there's a great um, TED talk by a woman by the name of Susan Colantuono uh, called The Career Advice You Probably Never Got. She talks about the fact that for a lot of women, uh, career advice comes in the form of, you know, greater confidence, speaking up for yourself, and that men get a lot of career advice in terms of really learning the business, learning, you know, business acumen, strategic acumen, financial acumen. And, you know, she tells the story of a CEO who was really proud of himself because he had a female mentee and a male mentee. And as she was talking with him and interviewing him, he said, oh, my gosh, the light bulb just went off. I was so proud of myself because one of my mentees is female and one is male. And I just realized that I'm teaching the woman how to speak up for herself, how to be more confident. And I realized that what I'm doing is teaching the man all about the business. Mm-hmm. And so it is also the challenge for, you know, teaching women the business uh, as well as the skill set, the soft skills they need uh, to get ahead. But it really is the table stakes are having the financial, the business and the strategic acumen to know how to move your company forward and focusing on that skills and the mentoring of those skills from both men and women uh, for women is a highly critical component uh, of what companies should be focused on. And then just looking for ways, appropriate ways in which uh, women can socialize and engage with um, executives within the company uh, that are appropriate and not uncomfortable for either the men or the women. Those are great. You've given a lot of great resources. So uh, we're going to make sure we get uh, a lot of those listed on the page. So Annie, you want to talk a little bit about how people can access all these great resources? Yeah, so if you go to uh, AnnetteKlosowski.com slash Leaders Spotlight, uh, you will find uh, all of the resources mentioned in this uh, podcast, as well as the resource that uh, Tanis provided us, which is called The Male Factor, Unwritten Rules, Misperceptions, and Secret Beliefs of Men in the Workplace. Um, Tannis, do you want to talk a little bit more about what that is? Now, that's just a great book. It, 
it, it is the culmination of her research of over 3,000 male executives, <coughs> you know, what their expectations are, the way in which they think about how people uh, achieve within an organization. And even though I thought I was pretty savvy in this area, as I read the book, I just went, aha, on several occasions because it took me back to a particular challenge that I was having in my corporate life, and it took me back to a circumstance, and I went, oh, I now see exactly what was happening in that situation, and I didn't recognize it at the time. So I think even the savviest woman who has, you know, thinks she's pretty savvy about navigating uh, the corridors of, um, you know, of, with men in will learn a lot uh, from the research. And one of the thing that Sha- things that Shanti says in the very beginning of the book is she says, you know, please don't, sp- please don't shoot the messenger. I am not here trying to tell you that these rules or these assumptions that men have are correct and are right. I'm just saying this has all been institutionalized. This is the way it is. And so if we as women don't understand those rules, then we don't have the choice in which to respond. Right. So we don't have to like them or necessarily even agree with them. But when you become aware of them, it opens the choices with which you have to respond. And so I think that is really the benefit of reading the book. And it's a great book for both males and females to read because I think uh, it is unconscious. It's the unwritten rules and it's the unconscious rules that men operate by. And often they aren't even thinking about it. It's awesome. just the way they've always operated. So I think it's enlightening for both men and women to read the book. Great. Well, I know I'll definitely uh, check that out. And that will be, again, at AnnetteKlazowski.com slash Leader Spotlight. Yes. And so the group I'm speaking to this week on this topic, I will be so very well prepared, more so than ever, because I've had this <laughs> session with you, Miss Tannis. So uh, I love that. Um, And then we end every show with our guest four. So the saying goes, show me your four closest friends and colleagues, and I'll show you your future. So on that Mm -hmm. note, Candice, tell us who your top four are. Well, and, you know, that's hard to even come up with the who. Um, I specifically chose an individual from, you know, my particular career path. Uh, It was a gentleman that I worked for a couple of different times by the name of Anthony Marino that made a significant contribution to my career. And for a couple of reasons, Uh, he was um, a great boss and a great mentor because he helped me to see through feedback Uh, both ways in which I was skilled and talented that I might not have immediately recognized and helped me to capitalize on those strengths, as well as gave me very direct and sometimes painful feedback on those things that I needed to do better. But he wasn't shy about providing that feedback. And because of that, I felt that I really grew uh, as a leader um, under you know, under his reins and that he really helped me to be a better leader. So I'm eternally grateful to him and you know, we're still friends to this day. And so uh, he, he was a great uh, colleague and leader in my own background. And, um, you know, when I look at, at political leaders, I, I chose Margaret Thatcher and um, Merkel simply because not it has nothing to do with their politics, 
Uh, but the fact, uh, Angela Merkel, the fact that these are two courageous, outspoken um, women leaders who had to overcome a great deal, obviously, to reach the level of success they have had, uh, but that to but that created um, an image of a strong, outspoken, ambitious leader, and that to be ambitious is not a dirty word if you're a female. You know, that word is not necessarily uh, paired with women and considered to be an attractive trait. But I think that women need to embrace the idea of ambition and that it's a positive trait and that our ambition can lead to great things. Um, and they're certainly not the only uh, females that have done wonderful things in, in politics. And again, I'm not talking about their political persuasion, uh, but rather their courage and their um, achievement. Um, and then who is, who is the fourth one that I said? Um, Oprah Winfrey. Oh, I, I, I love Oprah simply because she's always been her. Uh, I think you see what you get with her. I think that uh, she was a risk taker. But I think the thing about Oprah that I think I probably respect the most is she's been extremely resilient uh, throughout her career. She faced a lot of hardships. She faced a lot of failure. But she always picked herself up and came back. There's certainly been a lot of naysayers uh, a lot of haters for her. Um, she's been a successful woman of color, which I have a lot of respect. I, I think the hurdles that she had to overcome were more significant than perhaps um, uh, someone um, such as myself. So I, I have respect for her and what she's been able to achieve uh, and the influence and the business prowess uh, that she's been able to achieve has, has been pretty tremendous. And I love the fact that she's educated uh, a lot of women and that education has been um, a prime motivator for her and something that she's given her own time and energy and money to. So I, she gets a lot of my respect for that as well. You know, people like Oprah, and I know you see this a lot just from your work with high-level executives and the peer advisory boards that you do. Uh, in my world, you know, and I think not a lot of people see this, but you know, when Marshall Goldsmith wrote the book, you know, I, I'm probably going to get it wrong, but it's like what gets you there won't keep you here. And yeah. when you get to a certain level of leadership of success, what you really have to do is start working on yourself. It really becomes more about you developing personally as a leader and and continually learning. And that's one thing I, I am always impressed about with somebody like Oprah is, you know, they don't have to do that. <laughs> they don't right. have to. Yeah, that's right. Time to learn and develop and expose and be transparent. But that is actually what makes people better at whatever it is you're going to do. You know, it does not matter at what level you're trying to get to, but it's, it's, you know, it's in like a topic like gender diversity, you know, learn, right. read, learn, just have a continual desire and appetite for knowledge and learning because it makes you a better person and it actually helps you rise. So I, I love when we talk about uh, people like that, which they don't have to, you know, they, they're successful. They're, you know, in all eyes have, have been seen as at the top of their game. So why do they spend so much time doing that? Is because that's actually what fuels more success for them. And certainly Oprah and, and 
you know, any great leader that you you read about all have had some epic fails along the way <laughs> as yeah. well. And so, but that's, that's how you grow and learn. And I think the one other person I mentioned was Sheryl Sandberg. And I, I respect Sheryl Sandberg for speaking. You know, she really started the conversation again when it came to gender parity and gender diversity and equal pay. And so I have appreciated her outspokenness, and she certainly had her criticizers as well. Um, she's one person with one perspective, but I appreciate the fact that she got the conversation restarted because for many years, um, we just had not made very much progress. Uh, it was a lot of talk, but no real progress. So I appreciate her for restarting the conversation. Yes, yes. And I, you know, I there are so many people like you which is why we have this podcast that have so many valuable pieces and conversation and tools and perspectives and wisdom to add to conversations that, you know, they just don't have a platform or they haven't written that book yet. So um, I really thank you for spending time with us and sharing your insights and wisdom. And um, it's, I'll date myself, but back in the day where there were cliff notes, we didn't really have to read all the books. You could just read the yeah. The right. cliff note that gave you the highlights, I kind of feel like we, we had some cliff notes of a, of a lot of resources from you. So um, thank you very much for your time. It was really great having you on. Well, it was great to talk with you, Annette. I enjoyed it. I wish you uh, great luck on, on your speech. I speak on the same thing frequently. So uh, it always gets a, a lot of great dialogue going. So thanks for the dialogue. Yes, thank you. And that wraps up this episode. Thanks. Thank you. Annie here. Thank you for listening to this episode of Leaders Spotlight. Make sure to visit our website, AnnetteKlazowski.com forward slash Leaders Spotlight, where you can find resources mentioned on this show, as well as past episodes. Check for new episodes of Leaders Spotlight every Friday, or better yet, subscribe to the show so you never miss an episode. You can also follow us on Instagram at Leaders Spotlight.